help me to uh, point the way to, to know you, to be reconciled uh, to you, to be your people and your family. I pray for your grace on me, uh, that I'd speak with wisdom that ain't my own, but that is yours. And I pray that you'd be with the folks who are here, that they would hear uh, your words, hear your thoughts, um, um, be filled with your spirit, and come to know Christ more intimately. Um, I pray for your grace on all of us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was born, you know, way back. Uh, I wanted to share this this little bit of uh, insight here before I dive into the text, and it'll make sense, but you're going to have to stick with me. Uh, when I was born, uh, I was born during a very bad uh, thunderstorm, uh, and then actually going forward, uh, every major life event or sickness or whatever that happened in my life, uh, huge, crazy, apocalyptic weather. Storms and my my mom uh, uh, would say very often that they they uh, they thought they should call me Stormy because I everything is loud and everything is uh, is chaotic and and because these things would happen and there'd be huge storms. I think I I was once when I was a little kid I was uh, stung by a scorpion and they took me to the emergency room because my leg swelled up and again you know terrible weather and and all this and so. Uh, I'm starting with that because uh, how many of y'all have seen this this picture? Um, this is uh, the prairie. This this obviously was taken by Craig Edwards, right? The talented and uh, amazing man who uh, attends our church and has forever. Um, and Craig uh, Craig took this picture. This was the day Jess and I arrived in Big Sandy. Uh, how many of y'all remember that, the tornadoes? Uh, I remember Mark Potter talked about his, his shed being blown away. And, you know, it's, I, and tornadoes really don't happen here all that often. It's a pretty unusual thing. And so the first, the first day, Jess and I went to visit with Brooke and Renee. We went to their house, and they called around to all the houses in town to warn folks that there was a tornado. And we didn't get the call. I had a voicemail because... <laughs> Because we were at Brooke and Renee's house, and, like, we didn't know it happened. And actually, even, um, like, when I went to meet my wife in Nebraska for the first time, we drove through tornado touchdowns the whole way. No idea. Um, And, in fact, on our first date, we sat in the truck and watched thunderstorms in the distance, not realizing it was prophetic as to what everything would end up being like, but... um, and we're at that time of year uh, um, where, uh, where it happens. You all know what I'm talking about? The fires. And, and the farmers sit up and they watch the fields and they watch for smoke and they watch for lightning and they listen for the sirens and they wait for the phone calls and, and they all kind of sit on the edge of their seat because this is that time of year. And um, I'm talking about storms because uh, storms are... Storms are incredible, right? Have any of y'all ever been in a tornado? Um, I mean, they're, they're terrifying. Um, just, just the wind and the darkness and, and the, you know, just the intensity of it. It is terrifying. Um, the psalm we're going to look at today compares God speaking to a thunderstorm. Uh, and so uh, it's summer, and in the summer we do... 
Old Testament, right? And I am going to resume because my goal is to preach the entire book of Psalms before I retire. Uh, and I know you're looking at me and saying, Eric's pretty young. He's got plenty of time. Uh, I know, 25, it's like 40 years away. Um, but still, I'm getting started on it. So we're in Psalm 29. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the storm. And I, I want you to kind of imagine this. I was originally going to set music and lightning and everything else, and I couldn't find anything that, that did it justice. I couldn't find anything that put it out there like the intensity and the craziness. But living in Big Sandy, you all know what I'm talking about, right? We have all experienced this. We have all been there. And especially out here, wind, right? You know, how many of you all have laid in bed and wondered if your roof was going to tip off the house before you woke up? Um, and so when the ancient Jews, the ancient Hebrews spoke of God's voice and spoke of God speaking, this is what they compared it to. Um, and so we're in Psalm 29, uh, and actually before we jump into Psalms, we're going to read a couple of theophanies. Theophany is a big $25 word that means God speaking, right? And so whenever God would speak to someone, it was called a theophany or like a, a um, an epiphany, like a theological epiphany, a theophany. I mean, to give you sort of the, the I absolutely just made that up. Um, and it was terrifying, right? Like we have this habit of thinking of God um, in, in very gentle ways, but like the voice of God can be genuinely terrifying. Um, and so we're going to start uh, in Exodus uh, 33. This should be 33. I apologize. It's 30 uh, that I wrote down. But um, so Moses is talking to God and God uh, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Um, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Um, and actually, so Moses is there, and Moses asked to see God's glory, and God's glory, God's holiness is so much that Moses would be utterly destroyed by it. Is that because, you know, like, like God's holiness is, or because God's glory is, is that big and amazing? Um, that's kind of a part of it, but another part of it is Moses is a sinner. And to be before God's holiness in our sin is, is it, it's like oil and water, right? Um, at the end of the day, God's holiness is so holy that it consumes. We talked about this a few weeks ago, this idea that, that when an unclean person touched Jesus, they were made clean. He didn't become dirty, right? And God is so holy that when, he, when unholy, when filth or sin or wickedness or whatever comes into his presence, it is consumed like a fire. Um, and Moses asked for this thing, and he is 
God has to protect him from himself. And actually, when Moses goes down the mountain, he glows like a light bulb. I'm not singing. No singing. No singing. But he glows. His face glows. It shines. And he has to cover his face with a cloth um, afterward. And, and actually, that's, I'm mentioning that specifically because it's important, and we'll come back to it. Um, we're also going to look at another theophany. This is, I'd forgotten about this. I was conveniently and wonderfully reminded of this. Uh, this is from Job. The book of Job is the story of Job. Um, and Job is this man who is upright before God. He's a good guy. And eventually, like, like God, Satan comes to God and they, they place a bet. And not a bet. They make an agreement. Satan says, oh, well, you know, that guy, he only worships you because you give him everything. And, and then um, God says, well, you can take things away and you can take away his family. You can take away his health and, and he will still honor me. And so Job is there. His house burns down. His kids are all killed. His entire fortune is taken away. Um, and he gets leprosy. And so he's sitting in the ashes of his house with a broken piece of a plate scratching at his boils. Um, and, and he's just he's destroyed. And utterly crushed. And his friends come to cheer him up by telling him that he's a sinner and God is punishing him. Um, anybody who's been in church long enough has had friends like that. Um, <laughs> um, and Job argues. He's like, look, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I just wish God would come here so I could plead my case. I wish I could argue and debate with God and show him that I am right and that he is wrong. I just want a chance to like face him. And like over and over and over again, Job is saying, God, just show up and talk to me and I will point out the error of your ways because I am innocent. And God never disputes the fact that he's innocent, which is awesome. But when we get to verse 38, it's probably the best passage of the book because this is the point where Job stops talking. Um, He has spent page after page. Actually, his friends really stopped talking. But he spent page after page after page saying, I want my day in court. I want to face God down right now. I have heard people say that, and it always makes me laugh. You know, if I could see God, I would tell him that he's horrible. You might think you're going to do that. (laughs) But that's the guy on the Internet who says, if I meet, you know, if I ever meet Mike Tyson in real life, I'm going to push him down. I'm sure that'll happen. (laughs) Then... The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or when it, or where its bases sunk, where or what, where its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so he basically shows up and he says, all right, Job, let's have at it. You tell me how the world works. You tell me how the foundations were laid. You tell me how to make the stars hang in the sky. You tell me where you were when the angels were, like, singing my praises over the creation. Like, you you answer these questions. And he goes on, right? Because, did you ever get in trouble? I mean, you know what I'm saying here, right? Like, like, do you ever, 
this is a, this is a, I know I do this to Josh sometimes, where you say something that you think is just the clencher and dad rears around and you have this moment of, uh oh. And dad starts speaking and you have nothing to say in response and you try to shrink and hide, right? And God, I mean, and dad, I'm not God. And dad keeps going. You tell me, young man, don't think you're going to come into my house. Where do you think are you going to start paying for? Anybody having flashbacks right now? Like do some PTSD work after? (laughs) And so God dresses him down. He says, where were you? You talk to me. You explain this stuff since you feel like you can demand things of me. And Job responds, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice. But I will proceed no further. And so basically Job says, Oh, 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 this did not turn out the way I thought. I should not have said anything. Please put that belt away. And so that does not end the conversation because then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man and I will question you. You make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his adorn yourself in majesty and dignity clothe yourself with glory and splendor pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand hide them all in the dust together bind their faces in the world below Then, then will I acknowledge you that your own right hand can save you. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to do the whole section, but I started going up like, oh my gosh. Can you imagine being in that spot? God's standing before you and saying, all right, guy, you're going to say I'm guilty. You're going to say I'm wrong. And you can imagine, like, again, speaking out of the whirlwind. I wish I had the picture in here again. But God speaks out of the whirlwind, and it's like this tornado, this, this, this enormous thing that descends. And can you imagine Job sitting in the ashy pile of his house, plate in hand, dropping it immediately, covering his mouth, and terrified. Can I go back to, thank you, dear. Um, I am not, before I go further, I am not saying that God is out there ready to step on you. Like my kids and aunts, right? I'm not saying that. However, what I am saying is God is to be taken very seriously. 
seriously like the thunderstorm on the prairie in the middle of the night, right, when the ground is dry. We can be grateful that there's rain and at the same time back up and realize that when God starts moving, you know, it's like a, like a rhino. Have you all heard this? A rhino can run 30 miles an hour. It can also see 30 feet in front of it. A group of rhinos is called a crash. But here's the question. If you're running, or if a rhino's running and you get in its way, is it the rhino's problem? Nope. It's your problem. And the reality is that when God moves, he moves with purpose and wisdom and power and glory and grace and holiness. But at the same time, he moves in a way that we cannot hope to stand in front of. There's a long way to go to get to Psalm 29, isn't it? I'm going to read just the beginning of Psalm 28 because the Psalms are laid out in an amazing and glorious way. Psalm 28, this is just the first couple of verses. We're not going to do the whole thing because I'm taking forever and we have communion today. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Um, And so Psalm 28, we did this last summer, and so everybody remembers it. It's fresh in your mind. Um, It's basically a psalm calling on God. God, where are you? I need your help right now. Where are you? Why are you quiet? Come on, God, move, move, move. I need you now, God, speak. Anybody ever felt that way? God, just talk, right? And sometimes it's glorious, and sometimes you end up like Job, right? Because as, um, what is it, C.S. Lewis wrote in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? He's a lion. Is he dangerous? Oh, yeah, of course, he's a lion. Lions are dangerous. But he's good. I'm going to skip 28 here. I'm sorry. All right, Psalm 29. So in Psalm 28, God speak. I need to hear your voice. God, please, please, please talk. God, please talk. God, please talk. Psalm 29 is all about God talking. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Um, Part of the reason I wanted to do Job is the response to Job when he's like, oh, I got nothing to say, God, sorry, 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 sorry. God says, clothe yourself in majesty and let me see it. Right? Um, There's an interesting phrase here, oh, heavenly beings. Um, This is uh, translated in really funky ways in different uh, Bibles and different translations because... Oh, heavenly beings implies other gods. And a lot of translators look at this and they're like, well, wait a minute. Like the Jewish people were monotheists. And the trick is the Jewish people were monotheists eventually. In the early years, up until the exile, the the Hebrews, like God's people, believed that God was the God, you know, the most powerful God. But they would oftentimes worship other gods. 
And actually, if you read the, the Exodus and you put it into cultural context, right, like put it in the context of ancient Israel, the plagues are all related to Egyptian gods because God comes along and throws down the gods of the pagans to demonstrate I'm in charge. And so, like, when it says, oh, heavenly beings, what it's saying is every God that is not Yahweh, every God that is not the Lord, bow down and acknowledge, ascribe to the Lord, admit that God has glory and strength, admit that he is who he is, and whether you like it or not, right, you can't stand against him. Um, and so this is a calling out of the pagan deities. Um, ascribe to the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in his splendor and holiness. This is a reference to the people of Israel. Worship God knowing that he is holy. Three to four. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the lord over many waters okay uh the voice of the lord is over the waters part of this is probably because of this little body of water called the mediterranean sea right between europe and the middle east and africa there is a big hunk of water called the mediterranean sea and like storms over the mediterranean google it watch them on youtube they are cool right like because storms over water are nuts um, and this is a reference to that, this huge storm coming off the waters. But there's kind of a double thing happening there because water represents chaos. When you read the creation order, God sets the water over here and sets the, world, you know, the land over here. And part of God's power, part of God's authority is the fact that he can command the water and he can make it go over there and over here. What does that mean for us? That is awesome. That means that even if, the roof caves in. Even if you've got nothing but a piece of plate to scratch on your arm and God killed every wonderful member of your family except your wife who is telling you, man, your life is awful, Job. Curse God and die. Yeah, the one person he could have taken. Um, <laughs> well, she's like the least supportive person in the book. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I apologize. Um uh, but, like, when the roof caves in, God is still in control. God has not given up. He has not let it go. God is still there. He still has hands on everything, and he is making it happen his way because he is God. When the rain comes, it's God. When it doesn't come, it's God. When the storms turn into tornadoes, God's still in charge. Now, there's a bit of theology to have there, like where we could talk about the creation in chaos because of sin and all that. Like, I'm not saying, you know, lightning struck my dog. God, God's at fault and he meant to do it because he hates my dog. I'm not saying that, okay? Like, don't read into me. Um, but God is over the waters. He is over chaos. He is over death. He is over, like, everything, and he is in charge. And the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Now... Think of this in terms of the thunderstorm he's talking about, right? You ever hear one of those peals of thunder that, like, shake the dishes? You know what I'm talking about? The, the one where you're laying in bed at night and it's kind of awesome, but it's also kind of a little scary? <laughs> like, whoa. Um, Josh and I were watching a scary movie yesterday, and we have our living room set up in a certain way, and there's one chair against the wall where on 
either side is a pair of subwoofers. And I had the stereo turned up pretty loud, and all of a sudden there was an explosion. And Josh was sitting in that chair, and he's like, whoa, because they're on either side of him, and that chair shakes. It rumbles. It goes. Um, sometimes that'll happen, and, you know, Jess will come into the living room like, what just happened? Right? <laughs> What's going on? Um, this is the idea. The voice of the Lord shakes the very world around us. It is terrifying and wonderful. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon, meaning full-grown, enormous, heavy, hardwood trees. God's voice speaks, and they're laid flat. Um, All of the buildings that were important in Israel, by the way, were built with cedar because it is tough, right? And so the voice of the Lord literally knocks down trees. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. It took me a little bit to figure this out. I have never seen a calf skip. I I guess I have, actually, at Brandings. You hold them down, and they're mad, right? And they're genuinely unhappy. And then when you get off them, they sort of bounce away (laughs) as quickly as possible. You get the idea? So wait a minute. Why is Lebanon doing this? Well, Lebanon is a mountain range. And if you were to think about the ground suddenly moving about the way a calf would move as it's bouncing away, that's what he's talking about. The mountains shake like earthquakes, like bouncing up and down, like shuddering, like shaking. It is that. This thunderstorm, the peals of lightning and the quaking thunder is so much that it causes earthquakes in mountains. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Lightning, right? Uh, And then everybody jumps in their truck and runs, you know, to go put out the fire. And sometimes you're out there half the night, right? And you're watching and hoping that it doesn't happen somewhere else because it has to be respected because it is terrifying and beautiful and amazing and powerful. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. Um, Makes the deer give birth. This is another earthquake metaphor. Okay? Because sometimes this is translated as it twists the trees. Um, When Jessica gave birth to Titus, uh, she was in labor for days. Um, Her children are as stubborn as she is, and so she's always had like 50-plus-hour labors. Um, And I remember when she hit this point where like everything is happening have you all ever watched a baby, baby being born? I know they say it's a miracle. It's kind of gross. And it's really like the, when you're the dad and you're there, you're looking forward to holding the kid, but also you kind of want to find a place to hide. Um, because, no, it's true. Um, the idea that's presented here is the deer twisting in labor. That sort of deep to the core contraction that like like hurts to the very heart of who you are is the way that God 
treats the land as he speaks. I and I know I'm is kind of a lot. Like it's it is a lot. Like but I I the psalm like puts out this idea like stripping forest bare and the earth and the trees twisting up in response to his voice. The the just the speaking of God um, and everything responds this way and everybody in his temple cries glory. Um, have you ever been near something enormous and been a little bit excited and a little bit scared at the same time? <laughs> You're trying to figure out how long we're going to be here. That's the real trick. It's a <laughs> um, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Now watch this. So if God is God over the flood, not after the flood, right? He is over the flood. That means that the enormous power unleashed as God deals with sin, the enormous death that has come about into the creation as a result of the fall, the like misery and sadness and emptiness and hopelessness and brokenness and filthiness, all of that garbage is there. Um, because the world is broken and God sits over it in power. And his people have his strength. And so God is amazing and I'm sure glad he's on our side, right? I'm sure glad he's on my team. The first couple of uh, passages from the Old Testament, I, I reference God in this sort of quaking, terrified way. This is First Kings. This is uh, Elijah in the mountains. Um, and the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah is terrified and defeated, and he's run into the mountains to hide, um, and he is broken inside. He's just watched God pour fire from the heavens on his enemies, and then he still lost. And now he's hiding. And God sends him out to the mouth of the cave. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Um, the covering of the face, like there's a whole thing here like, like that parallels Moses. Except Moses saw the glory of God in its incredible like power. And Elijah was there and he saw the incredible power but he encountered God in the silence. And he covered his face the same way Moses did, which is kind of awesome, actually. Because there are days that God will come in the fire. And there are days he will come in the earthquake. And there are people who will demand that God only speaks in these moments. And in reality, God does sometimes speak in those moments. I think of Carly and her little bundle of joy. And how God spoke in the earthquake of that time, right? And most of y'all have had that pain and loss and hurt and brokenness and God speaks. 
And there are definitely times when God speaks in the quiet of the moment. And the amazing thing is, he is God. And he can do that. We cannot dictate to him. We can only sit back and wait and trust. This is uh, Luke. Uh, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water. Let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything and followed him. Why did we jump to Jesus? Because Jesus is the ultimate theophany. He's the ultimate example of God speaking to us directly. We like earthquakes, and we like fire, and we sort of wish that God would do that to the guy whose dog won't be quiet, or you know, this guy who votes the wrong way, or... This person who you know is probably sinning somewhere, but in reality, like now we live in a time where God is capable of speaking in the thunder and he's capable of speaking in the wind and the fire and everything else. And he still does sometimes. He is also capable of speaking through you. Because Christ came for us. Peter drops to his knees and says, I'm a sinner. Get away from me. I can't be in God's presence. And he says, come with me, and I will make you something new. God is powerful. God is mighty. And he is amazing. And he is so amazing and mighty and powerful that he can, he can take a wicked man like me and make me into something that I shouldn't be or couldn't be on my own. And he did it for you. God's final word in the moment over and over and over again is Christ. Is Christ who came and lived a perfect life and poured his blood out for you, who died on the cross, who carried the weight of your sins. God looked on Christ and poured his fury at us out on him. That earth-shaking, giving birth kind of deep-seated pain, all of it on Christ. And he looks at me, and because I am in Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness. Because I deserve it? Absolutely not. My challenge for you today, my encouragement for you today, my, my pleading with you today is that you wake up in the morning and recognize this is a day God has given you. This is a moment. This is an opportunity you have been called. Some of y'all are being called today, and, and we're here, and we're hearing it, and you can feel the Holy Spirit nudging you and pushing you and poking you. And like it's there and you've gotten so used to ignoring it that you're going to stuff it down as hard as you can and just keep on going. Right? And we can do that because we don't recognize that God tears the cedars down.
but that he also tore down his son for us. This is uh, Communion Sunday here. In our church, we practice open communion. That means if you are a person who knows Christ, if you are a person who is saved by the blood of Christ, like, like you have said, you know, I, I belong to Jesus. Jesus died for my sins. He is my Lord. He is my boss. I belong to him. I will pursue him with my life. I will pursue him with everything that I am. I am his. If you are that person, you are welcome to take communion with us. You don't need to be a member. You don't have to have the right, you know, denominational association within reason. You don't have to, like, I was a joke. I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> no Baptist. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, <laughs> laughter is a gift God gives us. I'm sorry. Um, you don't have to be clean outside. You don't have to be handsome or beautiful or well-spoken or rich or anything else. Whatever your past is, whatever your present is, Christ is standing there offering his grace And as we come up and we take the elements, we take the cup and we take the bread and we put them inside us and recognize that God is calling us to take these simple things and they represent Christ in us through and through. Like we're committing to belong to him in that way. There's a serious thing. There's a big thing. And we make it small sometimes because we only think about like juice and we have stupid arguments about, well, is it wine? Was it grape juice? Was it this? Was it that? We have these ridiculous things and we forget the fact that it was the blood of Christ. Terrifying, holy, and wonderful. So I, I think we have music maybe, but Rebecca's not here, so we definitely have to have music. Um, and I'm going to have Abby. Are you really going to release Rose for me? Okay. Jeremy? Uh, we're going to release by Rose. Come on up. Take the elements.